Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. COVID relief money could play a big part in bridging the digital divide for Native Americans. After the current round of federal applications, there are nearly $3 billion teed up specifically for tribal projects to increase broadband connectivity. The money could go a long way toward connecting places that are economically out of reach when it comes to the standard broadband model. We'll get examples of new projects in the works that are part of a new push to get Native Americans plugged in. That's on the next Native America Calling. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMVA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. The U.S. Interior Secretary was greeted with a standing ovation at the Alaska Federation of Natives when she addressed the convention Friday. From subsistence to Native veterans, Secretary Deb Holland touched on a range of topics, but one issue on this trip to Alaska will get a lot of her attention. On Sunday, Holland will hold a listening session in Anchorage on the trauma caused by Native boarding schools. We must reckon with our past if we are to address the injustices we still face because we know that intergenerational trauma connects so much of what hurts us. Holland has been traveling the country on what she calls a road to healing tour, taking testimony on the boarding school era about the damage it caused. My grandma used to share stories of this trauma with me, about how a priest showed up one day in her village, took her and other children away from their parents and families, and sent them on a train to a Catholic boarding school when she was only eight years old. Holland's listening session will be held at the Alaska Native Heritage Center, followed by the raising of a healing totem. The Heritage Center will be investigating church records to learn more about how Alaska Natives were impacted. Benjamin Jasek, one of the researchers, says his grandfather is a boarding school survivor, which got him interested in learning more. Healing is going to be a very, a very emotional event because it's a lot of people actually telling their stories, some maybe even for the first time. And one thing that you know is to never leave people in that space. Jasek says the healing totem will go up following the testimony. It's the work of two master Haida carvers, Joe and TJ Young. An elder developed the concept for the design. The totem pole depicts Mother Bear, who is holding two cubs, while the father, in human form, sits above her, embedded in a raven's tail. Two children rest comfortably in raven's ears. The totem raising, which will be followed by a potlatch, is open to the public, but the road to healing tour is closed to the general public to give boarding school survivors and their families some privacy. Education in Alaska has followed a westernized traditional path since 1784, when the first settlement was formed on Kodiak Island, and since that time, education has changed, morphing into a system that doesn't serve all the children that it's meant to, according to Alaska Native educators. Through history, including in boarding schools, Indigenous children face many traumas, including going missing, abused, and forced assimilation. At the 2023 Alaska Federation of Natives Convention, conversations about the future of education include new hires, curriculum changes, and the potential to bring elders into the classroom. A video was shown talking about the history of Indigenous people. The story our past tells us is about an education system imposed upon Alaska's first people rather than one built alongside of us. 
For the past year, Cook Inlet has been working on reaching out to multiple communities to see what an ideal educational system would look like. This project is called Education Compacting, and so far, five tribal communities have agreed to participate. Director of Tribal Affairs for the Department of Education, Joel Isaac, says that the focus of the program and the future of education are these three things. The first one is funding and having the funding go directly from the state to the tribes. The second one is local control and looking at self-governance. The third one is around instruction and looking at how do tribes be that driving force for who is in the classroom teaching our students. Speakers then spoke of the idea that conversations of the future must contain the past and bringing back traditional beliefs from before 1784. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, your National Humanities medal-winning radio show and podcast. Tribes currently have access to nearly $1 billion in federal money to fill in gaps of their broadband services. This is the second round of the Biden administration's Tribal Broadband Connectivity Program. Altogether, there are $3 billion earmarked for tribal projects aimed at bridging the digital divide for Native Americans. About 200 tribes are taking advantage of the broadband grant money. Today, we'll talk with tribal leaders, policy experts, and advisors with tribes from Alaska to Kansas on the gains and setbacks for tribal broadband. We also want to hear from you. How does broadband measure up where you live when it comes to speed and cost? Does your tribe own and operate a broadband network? Join us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And of course, you can always comment on our social media pages like Facebook or Instagram. Let's meet today's guests. Jeffrey Blackwell is General Counsel and Chief of Staff for the National Congress of American Indians and former Office Chief of the FCC Office of Native Affairs and Policy. He is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he is Omaha, Chickasaw, Choctaw, and Muscogee. Hello, Jeffrey. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Jeffrey. Thank you very much. Uh, pleased to be back on your show again. Good to have you, Jeffrey. Dennis Robinson is the former president of the Kawalingan tribe of Unalaska, and he is currently visiting family in Phoenix, Arizona. Hello, Dennis. How are you today? Good morning. Uh, I'm doing great. Good. Thank you. 
Thank you, Dennis. And we also have John Walton on the line. He is in White Cloud, Kansas, where he is the general manager of Graysnow Tech Services. Hello, John. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Jeffrey, I'd like to begin with you. And uh, this, is a, this is big news here, nearly $3 billion of federal money going toward tribal broadband. Have we seen this level of support for addressing the digital divide in tribal communities before? We've seen levels uh, approaching this, but we haven't seen the purposes. Uh, we haven't seen the means by which this is being uh, aligned with the needs of Indian country. Um, when I was at the FCC, one of the major challenges was to try to subsidize and stimulate uh, non-tribal carriers to serve tribal lands. And the big difference here is that this is direct funding uh, of projects uh, owned and operated by tribes. Um, but in terms of the billions, not to this aggregate, not. It's, uh, this is really a... Um, the first wave of interest and investment came in forms of different regulations at the FCC in the early 2000s. Uh, the next came in a full slate of proposals in around 2011, 2012. And this third huge wave has been as a result of uh, a, a global pandemic, but mm -hmm. really represents a, a seed change. Yes, sir. $3 billion, uh, I'm not sure. Is that a lot of money? Is it not a lot of money? What's the potential here in terms of what it can actually do to address this disparity for Native people? Well, one of the real challenging aspects of this is the money comes at a point in time when we have, you know, historic levels of, um, of economic challenge in our, in our country, inflation at historic levels. Mm -hmm. So, no, a million dollars is not what a million dollars used to be, uh, so three billion isn't. And this is very expensive stuff. Um, the costs uh, of, you know, a mile of fiber installation have grown enormously. And that's not just with the cost of the materials, but also labor costs, environmental costs, everything associated with it. Jeffrey, how much does it cost to lay one mile of fiber right now? Cost of material, really labor and materials. It, it, it's really dependent on location. It's hyper-local and depend, dependent on location. And then dep depending on um, environmental concerns, historic preservation concerns. Uh, before the pandemic, um, you know, in certain states, it could be as high as $250,000, $300,000 per mile. And within, you know, to, to Indian country in those states, it, it's even more now those costs have skyrocketed. I will tell you one thing that is a widely kept secret in any country is that, you know, for a long time over the last 25 years, there was a real focus on what we in Indian country call the first mile right outside our doors in Indian country, but what others will call the last mile solution. But what we really lack are very effective middle mile solutions. So that's another purpose that this money goes towards. And the conservative estimates are that we lack somewhere between, uh, well, plus or minus around 6,000 miles of middle mile fiber to get to Indian country, to get the robust broadband into our communities across, um, across Indian country. And that includes Alaska and Hawaii, uh, you know, services to those communities as well. Jeffrey, so many different tribal communities 
more than 570 federally recognized tribes. Um, where do you see the greatest need, or is it even possible to pinpoint uh, across Indian country where those biggest needs might be? Are you talking about geographic need? Are you talking about intellectual need, capacity? Just the need for tribal broadband, just the need to have good, solid broadband connections and services in tribal communities. Well, look, when I was a little kid, the joke was that you knew you were getting into Indian country when you start running into the potholes on the road when you cross that border uh, onto the onto the res. Now, and for a long time, the joke has been you know you're entering Indian country when the wireless signal drops. Uh, and that can be very discreet. That can be from one side of the road to the other side of the road. There are quite different challenges from tribal nations in the North Plains, villages in Alaska, in the interior of Alaska, uh, to, you know, the Pueblos of the Southwest. Um, and the mixture of needs is kind of like a, 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 a several different needs that can be met with a toolkit of opportunity. I will tell you also, there is new intellectual capacity in, in capabilities that need to be grown and that are growing very quickly. There's a new term that has come about called indigenous digital sovereignty or tribal digital sovereignty. And it's basically an umbrella term that overarches a whole you know, neighborhoods of issues that affect our, our tribal nations from um, you know, discrete, very human needs that, that inform this digital divide to engineering needs, finance needs, and the protection of our data and our, our networks. And then indeed, how when these new, work, new networks are built, how they're going to interrelate and interoperate with the other providers, other carriers, other ISPs to get out to the World Wide Web. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunity here and there's a lot for tribes to step up. It's a real call to action to exercise indigenous digital sovereignty. Okay, so Jeffrey, what I'm hearing from you, uh, if I'm correct, is that uh, it's very important that tribes uh, build their own internet access and have some level of control over building this broadband infrastructure. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, sir. So for far too long, for far too many generations, tribal nations and our tribal communities, we as Indian people have seen ourselves as consumers of technology not as owners and operators. And even though the oldest tribally owned telco in the United States dates to the mid fifties, the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe Telephone Authority, you know, there are precious few up until these recent opportunities, precious few tribes that have actually been able to own and operate their own networks. And it's a very different thing when you see the motivations of deployment and profit investment, uh, continuity come from within a tribal community rather than a remotely owned or publicly traded or privately held company. So yeah, it's a brand new day on every one of these fronts. And Jeffrey, your role with the National Congress of American Indians broadband agenda, what is it? So I am all of three weeks new. Thank you very much. It was a very kind introduction. I've joined <laughs> NCAI and the good people there. Uh, uh, as the, the general counsel and chief of staff uh, for, but there's nothing new to NCAI about this need. 
Uh, National Congress of American Indians has had a technology and telecommunications subcommittee that was founded in 2001. Uh, National Congress of American Indians was the entity that forwarded the white papers associated with this tribal broadband connectivity program. And it was, uh, it was there that the idea of a new tribal broadband fund for direct funding was created shortly after the first stimulus act back in back at the end of the first decade of this millennia when tribes were left out largely of the broadband spending there uh when i was at the fcc we put the native nations we the name of at the time that was being used was the native nations broadband program still the tribal broadband program and when um when Congress signaled that they would not be funding state, local, and tribal entities in the first round of COVID funding, um, they did come back to the tribes and said, "What? But but are there specific needs related to the 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 key impacts of COVID in Indian country?" And at that point in time, everybody was going online. I mean, Zoom and and Meets and Teams and all of these online platforms a lot of Indian country was not able to work remotely. So the request was a billion dollars for a program that eventually came, became the Tribal Broadband Connectivity Program. And credit where credit's due, the staff that advanced that, now working for the Department of Treasury on the inside, so we hope that we can, they can be as successful there as they were here. Uh, but All yeah. Right. Well, Jeffrey, thank you for kicking off our conversation today. Really, really interesting topic, uh, the need for... Bridging the Digital Divide Among Tribal and Native Communities. We're going to talk more with Jeffrey and our other guests right after this short break. If you've got a question, if you've got a comment, if you have something to say about tribal broadband, 1-800-996-2848. That's our number. PBS is airing a four-part series looking at Native Americans. The new set of shows looks at language revival, space exploration, modern housing solutions, and rebounding from tragedy, both contemporary and historical. The series relies on a host of Native talent. We'll get behind-the-scenes insights on Season 2 of PBS's Native America. That's on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about tribal broadband today. What does that look like in your community? What services does your tribe offer using broadband? How important is broadband where you live? Join the conversation at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's now bring Dennis Robinson into our conversation. He is the former president of the Kawalingan tribe of Unalaska. And Dennis, tell us, what is the current condition of Unalaska's broadband? Uh, where do you hope it will be in the near future? Well, I, the current condition is excellent as uh, uh, we have a, uh, a company out there that uh, has taken uh, broadband and developed uh, a wireless network. 
and, and we're looking at a wireless network out of out of the state of Alaska. Um, you know, fiber is the gold gold standard, but if you take Alaska and you can put Ketchikan down the coast in Georgia, you can put Utkiagvik or what they used to, what used to be Barrow up on the border in in Minnesota and Canada. The tip of the Aleutian chain would be out in San Francisco Bay. So that should give you an idea mm. the sheer size of Alaska, and it has extreme terrains. And there will never be fiber in a lot of the villages. We have 229 tribes in the state of Alaska, and uh, I happen to be you know I've been in the beginning with the uh, with a group called Alaska Tribal Spectrum, and uh, this is developing developing the uh, the uh, wireless broadband uh, that so much of Alaska is going to have to rely on, and. Uh, you know, it'll, it it could also work in the lower 48, uh, utilizing the spectrum that was made available to the tribes. Uh, you know, just sometimes that there's there's just not enough money to be able to run a fiber line to uh, to a, a select group of people if it's if it's small. But that wireless capacity has has the ability to match speeds and, and capacity of, of nearly match that of fiber. Um, it'll give you everything you need to, you know, all the speeds you need. But the beauty of the uh, system that uh, that Alaska Wireless or Alaska Travel Spectrum's contractors uh, has designed is, you can also get cell phone service in it. So, but the and biggest, the the biggest problem has been the really the biggest problem. I'm sorry, of the cost, a fraction of the cost to do the wireless oh, as but, opposed but yeah, to the fiber. Exactly. You can have, we, we, you know, the, they can, that, sorry about that. <laughs> the, uh, I'm a little passionate about broadband. <laughs> but uh, the, the system that we've designed or that has been designed, um, you could probably get that within, you know, a very short time. Um, Alaska Tribal Spectrum is, is going to be building out 59 tribes in in the coming year here um all that needs to happen is the treasury needs to release the funds so which has been a been a problem um and there are other other uh grants that would that have been worked on that they're uh it'll be getting some broadband in, in a few select communities uh but and what's the problem it, it specifically take... dennis with this uh delay in the funds You can't, you know, without any funds, you can't do anything. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, I understand you know, that, but uh, why Why is there the delay? That's my question. I'm sorry. What's holding that, it up? Uh, if I, I, that, that's, that is the million-dollar question. Um, you know, this this uh, $3 billion has been out there for two years now, and uh, and I think it's uh, – I think the – I think the task of getting broadband nationwide was a lot larger than anticipated. Mm -hmm. And it's huge and it's, it's compounded in the state of Alaska just due to terrain. You know, as I said, there, there will, in some communities, due to the terrain, there will never be fiber into them. Because you know you'd probably have a cost of some villages to get fiber into that may may be north of five hundred million dollars, and you're going to be serving fifty to a hundred people. 
that's just not going to happen. Now, so, Dennis, you know, we've talked earlier about how much it costs in, in some communities to lay one mile of fiber. And now here you have this option of, of using wireless instead. But beyond that, I mean, what other types of infrastructure or technology or intellectual capital do you folks need to, to get everybody connected? Because it's more than just just it's more than just cable. It's more than just wireless. Right. There's a lot more that goes into this. Quite a bit more, yeah, and uh, because I mean, you're going to have to have the the systems to to be able to troubleshoot all the stuff that you know, the, all, you know, the system that you go goes in. Um, it just it's just multi. I mean, it's for uh, for Alaska Tribal Spectrum, it's a brand new telecom, basically. That you know, and you get especially when they start building out what they call the Alaska Tribal Network, of where tribes will connect with each other um, utilizing their, their spectrum and, and getting paid for it. Um, and Dennis, that so, term utilizing spectrum, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I'm not entirely clear what that means, utilizing sure. spectrum. Yeah, the, the, basically the spectrum is, is a license to be able to, to uh, transmit broadband uh, wirelessly. You don't need that for fiber. Anybody can put fiber in if they have the money, but you don't need you don't, the spectrum is not required. So right now I'm talking on a cell phone, and um, the, the carrier of that cell phone has to purchase that spectrum every ten years from the FCC, and the price for it. You know, all, so all the telecoms, all all the cell phone services, have to have that spectrum in order to 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 uh, deliver their services. You know the the opportunity the FCC gave to the tribes is to be able to apply for that spectrum, to where and, and if they meet some certain build out requirements, um, then that spectrum is theirs forever. They don't have, ever have to buy it. And and the beauty of that is is, is the the speeds that are, you know, and the capacity that uh, that uh, could be delivered over wirelessly. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's it's better than than the 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 uh, you know the telecoms now that currently have right so right better two are equal and Dennis, in terms of just the policy we're talking about this whole approach i mean are there parallels between what you're dealing with now in terms of of delivering broadband to all of these various communities there in alaska and and perhaps like what it took years ago to bring telephone service in or some of these other earlier technologies do you see parallels Absolutely. Um, you know, when they brought the telephones in, and of course you, you uh, they created what's called the, uni uh, the, uh, the universal fund for you know for uh, for telephones. Everybody has a telephone bill. You know, as a landline has got that little fee on it, and uh, it helps put infrastructure in for phone services. That that's why uh, they're able to extend these wires out into the boonies and into into uh, unpopulated areas to get service for everybody. Um, broadband's another deal. It's, uh, you, you know, how do you fund that? This the billion dollars isn't enough to be able to get broadband nationwide. Um, but it's, it's a good start. And, uh, you know, I, I think again, with Alaska tribal spectrum, it's, uh, it's an incredible uh, opportunity for tribes 
not only in Alaska, but nationwide. And Dennis, do you see bringing because, broadband in is, is much more challenging and much more intensive than, than what it took to bring telephone service in years ago? Or is it just a new set of challenges, different perhaps? A little different. It's challenging to, to try to lay the fiber in and, and put that stuff in, but it's, it's pretty simple to put in uh, your wireless. You know, every, everybody walks around with a, with a cell phone, and you don't really need fiber hooked to your cell phone to have your data and all that stuff. You know, it's all there. It can it can all be handled in the capacity. You know, on the you know, di- digitally on over the over wireless. So through satellites. And Dennis, just within say the last 10, 15 years, has there been a, a, an enormous progress, considerable progress with regard to, to getting rural villages in Alaska connected? I mean, what have you seen just within the last decade or so? Well, it's just only been recently that uh, we've had a number of, uh, of communities get served with, uh, with fiber. Um, you had a, a company that was, uh, you know, that uh, ran a fiber from, you know, throughout the North Slope, and you know, and they just recently had the, the ice in in the in the bottom of the Bering Sea there plowed uh, their fiber up, and uh, it broke the wire. And unfortunately, they had put all their eggs in one basket. So when that fiber broke. They learned that they didn't have nine one one. They didn't have any phone communications, or you know, very limited phone communication and zero broadband. Um, you know, the company that Alaska Wire uh, Travel Spectrum is working with went up there and, and at least got the state hooked up to the broadband with uh, wirelessly. So, you know, the system works. Mm-hmm. But, and in terms of the community, I mean. Where are the benefits? I mean, you hear about telehealth. Earlier, we heard Jeffrey talk about uh, video conferencing software. I mean, where where do you see the biggest need for for broadband in, in tribal communities and rural communities there in Alaska? What are they most likely needing it for? Telehealth and education. You know, bottom line, um, telehealth. I mean. You, Every everybody in the United States is 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 starting to go digital on on all their hospital records and that, and yet the communities in in, in rural Alaska um, don't have that capacity, you know, the, the broadband capacity to say simply transmit an X-ray um, to you know to be able to communicate directly with the doctor. Um, so you know that in itself is is incredibly important. Um, I mean, for years, uh, if an Alaska Native person had a health issue, it was a matter in some cases of getting them on an airplane, getting them to one of these regional hospitals like you have in Anchorage. Uh, with telehealth, you can avoid much of that. Is is that correct? And just do things via broadband. Just to give you, yeah, just to give you an idea. You know, Alaska is 800 miles southwest of Anchorage, and, and and Alaska is pretty much that way. Anywhere in rural Alaska, you'll have to go to any one of the regional hospitals. They have a hospital in Bethel. They have a hospital in Nome. They have a hospital in Ukiagvik. 
uh, Fairbanks and then Anchorage and then there's in southeast. But if you're living in one of the outlying villages, you have to get on a plane. To give you an idea, if you're not carrying insurance to get medevaced out of Unalaska on that plane, it's a $130,000 plane ride to mm-hmm. Anchorage. And so what has what happens is, I mean, Unalaska is the largest fishing port in the United States. Um, so they, they actually station a plane. There's a medevac plane on the ground all the time because usually when we break people, we break them pretty good. What what a, a, a bigger capacity in in broadband means is they don't have to second guess. Um, they can uh, they can actually uh, transmit stuff to to the hospitals in Anchorage now. Um, they're actually putting a, a new CT scanner in in Unalaska. That that should cut probably the the number of medevacs in a year out. The reason they have to the you know, the medevac them is because you can't second guess it because it's a three hour plane ride, mm-hmm. you know. And if that if if they make a wrong diagnosis and not get that person near near a hospital soon enough, the person could die. So so they they'll err on the ca- on the side of caution and uh, you know and and get those people out um, and and pay one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. And a lot of times it. they'll. Right, and then they they get to Anchorage, and there's really nothing wrong with them. Okay. You know, I mean, there's all the problem is resolved, but you can't you can't take a, a human life and you know put it in the balance. Of no. Them, you know, guessing, no, absolutely is not. There, you know, is there something wrong internally that, that we need to really have a doctor for? Right, right. That, yeah, and then uh, uh, you know, the previous uh, caller would have. You know, said on with education. Um, you know, in the pandemic, it, it became abundantly clear that we did not have the capacity to to carry a lot of the online uh, classes just in our community. So, so during the pandemic, uh, when schools closed, uh, there was no remote learning then in many of these villages, I imagine. In many villages, yeah, no, there wasn't. But I mean, in the a lot of the communities, com- you know, did continue to operate because some of them even just locked down. And there's there was no traffic in or in or out. So, oh, that's interesting. So they were able to just kind of quarantine there collectively as a community and and Correct. keep the virus out. Interesting, interesting. I would really like to hear right now uh, from somebody in Alaska, somebody right now who could really benefit from having better broadband access in their community, uh, learning about these telehealth issues, what would it mean to you? And I'm speaking specifically to folks in Alaska, if you had better access to telehealth or better access to online education tools like what we're talking about today, would really like to hear your perspective on that. What could that mean? What could better broadband access mean to you and your family? Give us a call. We've got phone lines open, 1-800-996-2848. Our producers are standing by. We're waiting for your call, 1-800-996-2848. You can also connect with us on social media. Tell us what that could mean to you to have that better broadband access. And uh, also, if you know anything about some of these challenges we're talking about today, the infrastructure, what it takes to 
lay fiber cable to enable internet, that gold standard, or even the wireless internet that we're talking about. What could that mean to you in your community? Let us know, 1-800-996-2848. Also curious to know how supportive the state of Alaska has been toward broadband in rural villages. If you have an answer for that question, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We're going to take a short break here. We come back, we're going to move a little bit south and a little bit east, actually a lot of bit, a lot, a lot south and a lot east. We're going to go to Kansas and we're going to talk with John Walton as well as the chairman of the Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska. We're going to learn about what those folks are doing with regard to increasing connectivity for their tribal community. Short break and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of t-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Are you a welder? For over 40 years, D&R Tank, who support this show, have provided tanks and tank maintenance to communities throughout the Southwest and is currently hiring experienced welders. Info at 505-873-1101. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still plenty of time to join this conversation about tribal broadband. Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest, John Walton, is in White Cloud, Kansas. He works closely with the Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska. He's a general manager of Gray Snow Tech Services. And John, thank you again for joining us. And tell us uh, what types of improvements in broadband access, would you like to see where you are? Oh, thanks for having me, and uh, appreciate the conversation and hearing what the other guests had to say. And I agree with a lot of their points. Um, you know, Kansas is very different, obviously, than some of the challenges in Alaska, um, but some of them are the same. You know, I think some of the the points that were made comparing how important connectivity is to rural communities, you know, in our mind. What we see in Kansas and in the other parts of the lower 48 where we provide service to other tribes, you know, it's really about digital equity, just about having that access that people take for granted in urban areas where they have multiple providers to pick from. And um, somebody said, you know, fiber is the gold standard and everybody talks about gigabit speed. And, and that's wonderful if people can afford that and uh, install that. Um, but any type of connectivity, um, just to be able to call 911 from your cell phone if uh, someone's sick or there's been an accident or if you need to research a subject without having to get in your car or take a bus to go to a library to research something, to be able to do that from the safety and convenience of your home, you know, those are all important. And I think you know, uh, there's often parallels drawn between connectivity and broadband and things like other utilities like the rural electric Electrification Act, and I think those are valid. Um, but I think some of the things we saw even from that historically was, you know, that program when it was put into place skipped by a lot of areas, and uh, not all those areas got connected. And you know, a lot of us experienced that in rural areas um, where we have to have you know generators and things like that to to be self-powered 
I think we're trying to learn from the past and create a more equitable uh, situation where people aren't at a disadvantage in rural areas on reservations where they can have the safety of using their cell phones um, when they're mobile to, to make calls and when they're in their homes, you know, they can have the convenience of accessing the information they need to be on par with everyone else in the world. And, and I think that's an admirable goal. And, uh, you know, the construction costs in Kansas uh, are a lot less and uh, the approaches to solving the problem are different, but we do projects in other parts and some of the mountainous areas and the costs vary a lot. And sometimes you can use fiber and sometimes you have to use wireless, but I think all those solutions are valid. And, you know, you just have to pick the one that's best for the situation um, and think about the risks and how you're going to implement it and manage it in the long run. Mm -hmm. Well, John, thank you. And I know that uh, Chairman Timothy Rod is, is joining us as well. He is uh, the chairman of the Iowa Tribe of Kansas and Nebraska, and you work closely with the chairman. And I would like to go ahead and introduce Chairman Rod now. Chairman Rod, hello. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, listening to John uh, describe uh, the current condition of, of broadband access there in your community, I know that your tribe recently received uh, about a half a million dollars for improving internet access. Tell us more. What will that money be able to accomplish? Well, let me back up a little bit and take us back to, you know, right around 2010 era where, you know, we had taken advantage of the stimulus bill, bill there that, um, we actually applied for grant funding um, to install broadband infrastructure throughout the whole reservation. Um, we did most of the reservation at that time. Uh, there still are a few residents within the res that um, that don't have uh, that quality access to internet. So we'll be filling in the gaps there, and then um, you know we're actually extending our fiber network over to the city of White Cloud to help. The surrounding communities and businesses there as well you know and we did struggle through the pandemic as well you know uh, even having some of the infrastructure there too um, we were able to work with one of our partners to put some mobile hotspots for connectivity for some of our members and and those uh, that needed that type of space for their learning environment and that was somewhat it wasn't a, a solid fix you know it was struggles for some of our elders and some of our parents, you know, to come to those type of hotspots and, you know, do the work that they needed to get done or whatnot. But it's just going to, you know, basically enhance and build upon the foundation that we already have. And, you know, John, uh, we've got a tribal uh, fiber uh, training certification program that we're actually educating students. Um, you know, and, and getting in the training for the installation. You know, some of them have already been hired and, and brought in on the time, on the team, and we've got um, contracts um, throughout the United States that will be, you know, uh, sending those uh, employees over to, to to help other native and non-native communities get the, the infrastructure that they're that they're desiring and and needing and and don't have. So. It's just, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, we're trying to be that helping hand to, to bring these opportunities to other communities. 
Chairman Rod, appreciate your input. I'm going to go ahead and take a caller now, Rex, who is listening up in Newtown, North Dakota, on station KMHA. How are you doing, Rex? Thanks for joining us. Pretty good, thanks. Hey, I'm uh, calling from Fort Berthold. I know that uh, part of our broadband development here has included a uh, new uh, cybersecurity uh, implementation for for the tribe, which makes things a little bit safer. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on with the broadband development. At at one time, I worked at the college, and we tried radios. Uh, we had some geographic uh, challenges with the lake here. But uh, my question is, while fiber is the preferred delivery method, uh, with all this tremendous development of wireless technology, the reduced cost, uh, does, does anyone know what are some of the challenges or reasons why wireless delivery systems aren't as widely deployed? Uh, is it security, system redundancy, other factors such as geography, or as mentioned earlier, uh, risk management? All right, Rex, that's a great question. Appreciate it. And John, I'm going to go let, ahead and let you respond to that. What What is it about wireless? Why uh, is it security issues, as John, as Rex suggests, or, or what are some of these other challenges that make it uh, less favorable than, than the fiber? Yeah, I, I think there's two main factors I see a lot and hear a lot on projects around the U.S. And the reason fiber is the gold standard, if you will, is if you think about it from an infrastructure standpoint, the fiber material itself lasts longer. Typically, you know, that's projected to last 15, 20 years, if not longer, as a medium. So it doesn't have to be replaced as often. And it can carry more bandwidth. And so, you know, it's a four-lane highway versus a two-lane road. Um, wireless is fast and much faster than, you know, if you have nothing, it certainly meets all your needs. And we do a lot of wireless work. But I think those are the two main reasons people see fiber is the gold standard or platinum standard, if you will. It lasts longer, so it doesn't have to be replaced as often. Um, and it can carry more bandwidth if people want faster bandwidth. But I, I would argue, because we implement a lot of wireless as well, is that in an area where fiber is not affordable um, or fiber is at risk from tree falls or other type of damage, that wireless systems are great. Um, they're very cost effective. They carry more and more data every year. A lot of technologies are being developed to carry more and more data on them. And uh, I think they can work great in some areas. But I think from a funding agency standpoint, that's what we hear a lot of feedback on the grants is, you know, if they, if it's the same price or they can afford it, they like to see people install fiber just because they think it's going to last longer. And ultimately it can carry more bandwidth than everyone anticipates that bandwidth demands are going to go up every year. Thanks, John. Chairman Rod, back to you. Uh, other tribes uh, in your part of the country, what are you hearing from them in terms of implementation of broadband? Are they facing some of the ch same challenges? And if so, are you folks working together? Uh, yeah, I believe some of them are, um, you know, experiencing some of those same challenges um, as we are. And, you know, I think uh, we're actually working with some of the local tribes here, um, you know, to help build their projects out um, and that's a big part of our model is uh, you know just working together to find a, a common goal that we're all working towards and and just helping those communities and tribes out um, yeah thank you chairman and uh, Jeffrey Blackwell I'd like to go back to you and um, this is quite a bit of money we're talking about here three billion dollars and um, you know, a lot of this is is probably 
relatively new technology. And I would imagine you have all kinds of companies and businesses that are interested in working and partnering with tribal communities to help them establish their broadband. But uh, it also sounds like it could be risky. You know, some of this this infrastructure that needs to be built and, and what's in place there to safeguard uh, tribes so they're, they're put in touch with the right kinds of companies that can make these projects work. Because I would imagine there could be some bad actors that come into the fold here with this much money at stake. Well, Mr. Spruce, yeah, you hit the, uh, you kind of hit the nail right on the head there. Uh, two things. First, um, you're right. Anytime, anytime a ma- major investments are made in Indian country, uh, you know, we're the canaries in the coal mines. So we get a lot of, of experts from crawling out of the woodwork. So it's really valuable for tribal leaders to participate where there are aggregations, where there are meetings to kind of learn the questions to be asked, the, the decisions to be made. I referenced the concept of tribal digital sovereignty earlier because it's an exercise in self-determination. And I agree with everything that, that the other participants have said about the need to be met out there. Often a tribe is going to feel the pressure in a particular area, like education in the context of COVID, or like I mentioned, uh, like the gentleman from Alaska mentioned, or, or jobs in the context of COVID, like I mentioned. Sometimes tribes come because they are, come to these issues because of civic engagement or public safety needs or any myriad needs. The real important thing is to step back and look at the entire picture to think globally in terms of the tribe's needs, to diagnose those internally and with longstanding experts, and then develop your values to go talk to vendors. Um, there are a couple of tried and true things that those the, the, the circle of those who have been involved for a long time and have run networks in any country believe. First, no one size fits all. If somebody is coming and saying, hey, we got a great solution for you, it's a, a you know it's a turnkey and it'll work all over any country. That simply can't be true. Our tribal nations are as diverse and different as the countries on the face of the globe. And whether it's their geopolitical situation, their geographic situation, you know their their whatever their means and capacity, really important to get started the right direction. The other thing that I would say, the second point is I've heard a lot about fiber versus wireless versus and and really. It isn't either or. Often wireless is an important solution because, as the gentleman from Alaska mentioned, there are long halls between one side to the other side of mountains and other regions. Um, but the important thing to understand about networks, I mean, at the highest level and understanding, I'm not a network engineer. I've worked very closely with several. There is a unique relationship between towers, the power to the tower, the backhaul of, of internet that you get to those towers, and then, of course, the spectrum or wireless frequencies that they operate on. And then, of course, the handsets, these supercomputers that we carry in our pockets and our purses, that, that, and how to use them. Um, it, is our, it is my belief, and it's been my belief for the better part of 25 years, that tribal nations should be afforded the opportunities to have everything folks have in town. And it might take us a while to get that all out there, but but genuinely, that three billion is a good start. Experts, uh, folks that I work with, uh, both as a Fed and on the outside, we estimate that the cost 
and this is going to be informed by inflation, to truly close the digital divide is going to be somewhere closer to eight or nine billion. So this is a really good start with our treaty partner. We absolutely appreciate it, but we've got a lot of work to do in this area, sir. It sounds like, Jeffrey, and you mentioned power to the tower and the handsets and the spectrum. So what's also really coming across loud and clear is uh, all this stuff, it's only going to be as strong and as powerful as that weakest link in the chain, right? Absolutely right. I mean, um, I've spent a lot of time in Alaska. I've been very fortunate. If somebody really wants to see state-of-the-art healthcare solutions out into, you know, community-run, citizen-run uh, healthcare solutions in the villages, take a look at Alaska and because of the networking. But back in the day, and this is changing over time, you know, there were choke points in those satellite services. So when the gentleman talks about terrestrial uh, wireless, you know, on the, you know, wireless that, that, that's covering these cross, this, this great expanses, rather than, than satellites, you experienced it back in the day in Alaska. As soon as the kids come home from school, the whole state gets a big wall, 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 and the and the network gets <laughs> those satellite networks. They get they get overrun, so speed slow, everything slow. So you know, I have some friends in the satellite industry that say, you know, hey, we cover the entire country, but you know, to what purpose, to what capacity, and then never forget also at what cost. We have different economics. We have different socioeconomics in any country. And we must be vigilant for our people that, you know, this technology that was is adopted, wireless is a technology that's been adopted faster than the wheel, the horse, by humans. But at what expense? When it first started out, it was a huge luxury. The phones were $1,000. It was seen as something. Everybody always thought, no, we'll always still have our phones in our houses. Well, guess what? The phones are back to more than $1,000. <laughs> it's expensive stuff, sir. Expensive stuff. <laughs> Don't I know it? Yeah. I just went, bought a new phone the other day, and I'm still feeling it on my pocketbook. We have now reached the end of our hour. We're going to have to wrap up this show. But before we do, big thank you to our guest today, Dennis Robinson, Jeffrey Blackwell, Chairman Tim Rod, and John Walton for perspectives and insights on tribal broadband and the digital divide in Native communities. Hope you'll join us here on Native America Calling again tomorrow. We'll be talking about the premiere of Season 2 of the PBS series Native America. Hope you'll tune in, and until then, have a great rest of your day. OCO, protect your health and wellness. Help your family and community stay healthy by making sure you and your loved ones are up to date on vaccines. RSV, seasonal flu, and COVID-19 booster vaccines are available now. For more information on vaccines, contact your Indian health care provider or visit vaccines.gov. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. The Association on American Indian Affairs and the Citizen Potawatomi Nation host the 9th Annual Repatriation Conference on November 7th, 8th, and 9th. The conference provides in-person and virtual expert training about domestic and international repatriation. Learn how to register at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.